Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my Philacrosophy podcast, my Inside the Eight podcast, or my A Lacrosse Weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamesfreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. For coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have Division I men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV, and youth. For players, I've created JM3 Player Academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls across. And for parents, I've created JM3 Recruiting Portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars, and other interviews, and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome back Terry Foy to the Philacrosophy podcast. Terry is the CEO of Inside Lacrosse and uh, one of the most knowledgeable people in the game of lacrosse. Terry, so fired up to have you on the show. Thanks, Jamie. I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to uh, have this conversation. Since the last time I appeared, I was uh, floored by the number of folks who referred to my visit on your podcast, uh, certainly more than referred to me about my own podcast and, uh, and, and also just kind of the, the type of listeners you get. Um, you have a very uh, high quality audience relative to their lacrosse acumen and knowledge. So uh, excited to be able to speak to that group uh, here today. Excellent. Well, I, I first want to start off talking about um, recruiting and really the, the, the state of recruiting during this crazy summer of 2020. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it kind of starts with the binary questions of what does college lacrosse look like in the near intermediate and, you know, quasi long term, right over the course of this fall, this spring, and then subsequently over the four years after that. And then the second side of it is, is how do the members of the class of 2020, 2021 and 2022 react? And so, you know, kind of starting with the first point, for me, it's so dynamic. It changes every single day, whether it's the cancellation of a new fall season, such as, um, you know, we're recording this on, on Sunday. So yesterday, Mac football was canceled. Um, you know, all of the questions facing college athletics and the fall season and the spring season and, you know, certainly they all affect lacrosse even as you know somewhat indirectly as you might anticipate and so one of the very interesting things uh from a legislative standpoint is are members of the class of 2022 going to be allowed to be contacted on september 1st so the men's coaches this is a division one predominantly rule the men's coaches voted to maintain that date the women's coaches voted to postpone it July 1st of 2021. So basically an additional 10 months from when it would have originally been 
been yeah. scheduled. So those are huge questions and they're going to be voted on, I believe, uh, this coming Wednesday, which I guess would be the 12th. Um, and so we hope to have some clarity on that. In addition, uh, a dead period, which is a little bit qualified in the sense that contact, electronic contact has allowed to be remain with, with recruitable prospective student athletes, which means members of the classes of 2020 and 2021. But aside from that, the dead period has meant that they haven't been able to visit in homes, they haven't been able to host on-campus visits, and they haven't been able to evaluate live in person over the course of the summer. So, you know, that's one side of the, the spectrum. I was talking to a Division One coach who's very dialed in on both the men's and women's side a couple of days ago, and his comment was, you know, some schools have already announced that they're going to be online only in the fall, which means that there isn't going to be any fall practice. So if you take away recruiting in addition to that, the likelihood that those coaches get furloughed by their universities because they aren't really doing anything increases dramatically, which was one reason that this coach was in favor of maintaining that September 1st date of first contact. Yeah. So then transition to the player side, right? So, you know, whether you're talking about current seniors who lost their year and also had their team that they were joining get very much jumbled by both the additional year of eligibility and then the subsequent transfers, you've already seen an influx of players who are either going to take a post-grad year or take a gap year. Really notable high-level players um, have, have come out and made it clear that they were members of the class of 2020 and they're now becoming members of the class of 2021. So that's one thing to consider and be mindful of. You know, separately, I think if you were a junior this year, uh, you... I, that, that class had about 450 players committed in it when the March 12th spring season cancellation came down. Typically, I would assume that a college, you know, a Division I class is about 1,000 players, which means they were roughly halfway done. I think at this point, we are at about 550 to 600 Division I commitments, and it's definitely the activity has upticked in the last week or so in that class. And I feel like that's important because obviously it shows that there are still opportunities that are available. That being said, every college coach that I've spoken to has said that this class, this class of 2021 is going to be smaller than the one before it and probably the one after it, which means that we don't know what that limit is that they're going to hit. And then lastly, obviously, if you remember the class of 22, whether or not you have an opportunity and you're going to start finding out what that is on September 1st is very much an open question right now. All of these players, or you know, pretty much all of them, had their entire spring season canceled. All of them had the majority of their spring season canceled. And pretty much none of them were able to play competitively until the very end of June and the beginning of July. So I think that there was relative normalcy in most of the country with respect to players getting back with their teammates particularly in the club space, but, you know, also with events like NHSLS, you saw uh, some high school teams coming together and then certainly individual showcases as well. But just the opportunity to get back out on the field was something that, from my standpoint, most players took advantage of or a lot of players took advantage of, more so on the boys' side than on the girls' side. But obviously, to the extent that it furthers the recruiting process, it's all done by video, which is just a really different method right like it's both a different method in terms of the type of communication that you have with a college coach and you know as you know as well as anybody it's a different method with respect to how you can actually evaluate a player relative to being relative to sitting on a sideline so you know I think that's a little bit of a summary of just exactly how many open questions there are but those are the challenges that this entire landscape is dealing with at the moment so let's say that 
there the September 1st date remains, but the dead period is going to be indefinite. Um, yes. At some point. Which, which by the way, is my expectation. That is what yeah. I think is going to happen. I agree. The indefinite dead period, just so everybody knows, it means that coaches cannot meet with you on or off campus. They cannot evaluate you. You mentioned electronic communication, but I think they can also have phone calls and Zoom calls with athletes. Right. That's correct. So, so, so and that's what you meant. Um, so, but how are you really going to recruit a big class of kids in the class of 2022 if you're a college coach and the kids can't visit your campus, you can't sit down with them in person, you haven't watched them in person unless you happen to see them last, you know, November at a prospect day before the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, you just don't get that feel for, for them and they don't get the feel for you. You don't get the feedback from your from your players who get to tell you what this kid was like when he stayed in the dorm um, or, you know, all of these different elements. Um, how do you see that manifesting itself as far as actually kids committing to schools? There's no question that it's going to vary dramatically by school. To the extent that we have an example, it is that the service academies are allowed to begin contacting prospective student athletes on July 1st. And there are five service academy teams in men's and women's lacrosse at the division one level so uh army has has gotten one 2020 commitment on the men's side uh to my knowledge navy and air force have not yet gotten a 22 commitment um and i'm sorry i think i just misspoke but a 2022 commitment yeah navy's women's team i'm told has six or seven commits in the 22 class uh i'm pretty sure army's women's team does not um that outlier so to speak, represents what a workable strategy is. And I think that that's kind of the way I see this going, which is if you're at an institution that is particularly unique, such that the players that would typically want to come play for you don't really need to visit in order to know what they're getting, right? If your brand is really well known or you're, you know, so for example, Duke, like, I don't think, I don't think you really need to visit Duke, so to speak, in order to decide that you want to go to Duke. Now, yeah. do you have to visit in order to decide that you want to go to Duke and not Virginia and not North Carolina, not Notre Dame and not Yale? Maybe, but when it comes to is the cost of missing out on a Duke opportunity worth the benefit of the certainty of visiting those four other schools in order to choose this one. That's where I think you're going to see more players say something to the, along the, the lines of this to themselves, which is like, this is not ideal, but of course it's a global pandemic. And if this opportunity is available to me, I would be foolish not to accept it. So that's the player's side of accepting an opportunity. On the flip side, you referenced what level of information a coach has in order to make his decision. And obviously, again, it varies very much on a school-to-school -school basis. So because of the increased flexibility by virtue of the transfer portal and this additional year of eligibility, there probably is a little bit of a higher safety net in your high school recruiting than there would have been two, three years ago. If you don't get guys or if you make mistakes, there are opportunities to replenish your talent pool in an immediate way that didn't previously exist. So if I were a coach, my approach would be, I'm going to target, say, two to three guys. You know, I'm going to want two, three really high-level players based on what we're used to by whatever time frame, right? Like by the end of fall. And if we get that, then we can feel good about the normal timeline progressing from there. 
you know, whether it's picking up another verbal or two, assuming the high school season happens next year. And then if I'm going to get, have a 10 man class, picking up five guys from June 1st through signing day and maybe even after uh, going forward. And I think that that would be my strategy because it would represent, you know, incremental progress and a moment in time when, you know, it's hard to define what progress is. But the biggest thing that I think is going to be, I think there are two, there, ultimately the, la, the, the, the number of events that got canceled and the way in which the traditional funnel works, it disrupted two things. Number one, if you were, if you were a junior, if you're a member of the class of 2021, I felt like the reason that you were most harmed by this situation is because you're a luxury good at most programs at this point, like their classes at, you know, the majority of the division one competitive programs are big enough that if they don't take you, they're probably not losing that much. But what happens when players play and coaches watch them on the sidelines is coaches go, Oh my goodness. I didn't know who that player was. And she is so good. I can't not have her in my program. And I especially can't not have her in my program at the expense of my rival having her in my program. So we're going to figure out a way to make this work. Well, when those coaches aren't watching on the sidelines, that pressure doesn't build. And when you compound that with the fact that the traditional funnel, when you go through say Under Armour tryouts, which is very much like an athletic cattle call, and then move through the, you know, kind of smaller, more invitational showcases, um, and then move into club teams where you see them playing with their uh, coaches and, and teammates that are familiar with their style of play. And colleges, college coaches kind of recruit along that timeline as well, right? Like they, you know, identify the athletic, the, the players that can athletically perform at the level necessary. And then they try to find consistency in terms of their skill performance. Well, that really got, you know, jumbled up in terms of the chronology this year. And so I think that there are a lot of players that just weren't identified at all because that initial athletic cattle call, so to speak, didn't really happen at the outset. And then the subsequent ability to consistently evaluate, taking outside the fact that there's so much value to being on site. But even if that, you know, just setting that aside, like the normal chronology of the summer was so disrupted that I don't think that the opportunity for 21s to really showcase themselves and and show that they are must-haves existed. And on the flip side for 22s, I just feel like what is traditionally probably like a 5,000-player pool was probably this year like a 2,500-player pool. I, I You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of th- pulling those numbers out of the sky, but I really do feel like a tremendous number of – like a much smaller total number of players – got on the radar of the aggregate of the 70 division one men's coaches, 75 division one men's coaches and 120 division one women's coaches. I think, you know, the, because of the number of events, the teams that were playing at them, the players that were playing at them, and then the coaches access and ability to watch those, just the number of players that ultimately got seen by the aggregate group of coaches was a lot smaller than a typical year. And that very clearly implies that there are a lot of players that fall outside of that pool that are really good and would be able to play at the next level if the opportunity that normally presents itself had presented itself. I always used to think about recruiting um, and, and the athletes as they have levels of they're like stock and their stock can go up and their stock can go down. And the way your stock goes up and down is by how well you play in front of people because right. then they start talking about you. Yep. And like, and that's where what you were sort of talking about that phenomenon of, of, <clears throat> 
you know, this player. Is, like, I have this player. And all of a sudden they're talking about, well, this player is really good. And that team is really good. And, man, they are athletic. And did you see that? Um, and there's just something about the live in-person recruiting um, that, you know, triggers that and gets people excited and, and, and they just talk about it. And, and they're talking about more recruits more when they're on the road because you sit there, you have friends that you recruit with. Hey, let's go. You're not probably not really competing with them. And you like to go around and hang out with that person and then you talk and then everyone has this network. Um, so now it's all film. Um, and, and word of mouth. And what? And word of mouth. Yeah, I got, I got called by two college coaches last night asking me what, yeah. like, like, who are the uncommitted 21s that you like and who are the 22s? Right. Like, that That's what I was going to get happen. to. I mean, basically, before we get to the film, it's, it's either going to be film or it's going to be now there's going to be a higher level of advocacy opportunities for club coaches and tournament operators and experts and people that are around the game. Um, so if you could elaborate on that, I think it'd be huge. I mean, it, so I guess what I can't really speak to is how different this is from prior years for two reasons. Number one, because I feel like my familiarity with the landscape and my credibility with coaches is not the same as it was in prior years. And so it's hard for me to base my type of conversation this year versus last year versus the year before. And then separately, it's also really hard to remember, right? Like the, you know, it's hard to remember what has, what was going on 12 months ago. It's hard to remember what was going on 24 months ago. So, but to the extent that advocacy is important, the source of value comes from what do you have to gain by what you're saying, right? And so it's the nature of the third-party advocate. We, everybody knows that high school and club coaches have been advocates for their players ad infinitum. It's just always been the case. And, you know, there are a lot of people who lament the fact that the role of the high school coach in facilitating college recruiting is not as strong as it used to be. But ultimately, there is a flaw in that, which is twofold. The first is, you know, there is year over year credibility, right? So there are some college coaches who just immediately reject any advocacy that is provided to them by high school and, and club coaches because they have enough experience dealing with their, their former players, their alums, once they get on campus and they just don't trust their comments anymore because they feel like they're being intentionally misled in order to serve the best interest of the player, which ultimately is their job. So that's the first consideration. And then the second consideration is that you have to be able to have enough breadth in order to compare and contrast players to their peers, because ultimately you can give an individual evaluation of a player, but unless you have the context of what that evaluation is and how it lives in the ecosystem, it doesn't have as much value as it would if you had a better overall sense. And I think that that's where there are only, you know, there is a small group of people that kind of fill that void. And I think ultimately that's where Ty Zander's credibility has obviously been so well-maintained for so long. He is probably at his core, a facilitator of information, right? It's ingesting information from all of these different sources, putting it into like, its own context and then you know sharing it when called upon in whatever method whether it's our player rankings or talking to a college coach about uh you know do you know of an uncommitted 21 face-off guy that is you know really strong and can handle the physicality of the position at the division one level you know whatever specific 
kind of request of his library catalog gets asked and you know i, I think that that's the role of advocacy and and it's in it's heightened in a moment when both um you know college coaches understand that other people have been able to get that sideline type view which i think has some inherent value that's you know i don't want to say it's higher than video but it it certainly lives adjacent to video and offers something very different. And then obviously just by virtue of being out, both getting more, having more conversations to ingest more information as well as seeing more players. Um, I think that, you know, reliance on, on that advocate and particularly the third party advocate is higher now than it ever has been. No doubt. And I kind of think just to clarify what, what advocacy means, at least in my opinion, what you can really do as an advocate is I can I can say to somebody like Lars Tiffany, hey, you should look at this player. You, I right. think you should really look at this kid. And, and he probably will. And on the other hand, <clears throat> if Lars looks at that player and really likes him, he might come back to me and say, hey, uh, tell me more about this kid. I want to learn more. And that's really where your advocacy opportunities are is when the coach has already made a decision. They really like the player and they just yeah. want more information. And then they're going to take that information with a grain of salt, depending on who you are. And they might really believe you more if you've been had a really good track record with your honesty and your evaluations. And, but, but in any case, um, the, the one thing that you, nobody can do is get you recruited. Um, the right. only, one, only way that's going to happen is if you're, is if you're good enough. And right now, like you said, they're going to have to rely on video to figure that out. So let's talk a little bit about video the power of video, the, the limitations of video as it relates to what college coaches would ideally do. Um, and then we'll get into uh, what you guys are doing with video. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think that the um, inherent differences between video and live are uh, when, when it's live, you can watch whatever you want, right? You're not at the behest of a camera and you can, you just have a better perspective, right? Like you can, move, you can stand up, you can measure yourself against this player. So I think that I, it's funny because I call them the intangibles, even though they are tangible. But when I say yeah. intangibles with respect to lacrosse, I refer to um, a lot of the physical attributes. So uh, obviously size, speed, power, explosiveness, change direction. Those are the things that translate better live at field level than they do on video. The inherent attributes of video are the ability to rewind pause and fast forward so in one sense they should be more efficient right because you can fast forward through the things that you feel like are not pertinent so for example if you wanted to evaluate a face-off guy you can be way more efficient watching him on video than you can be live now does that mean you're more effective well not necessarily because it depends on what the value of those you know live attributes that i described actually are but obviously, if you don't have to watch all of the time in between his taking face-offs, then you're going to be more efficient in just watching the video where you can fast forward to his next face-off. And then you can also um, you can also track more easily, right? Because you're able to pause, you're able to just make life not happen. And then if you miss something, you can rewind. And I know when we last spoke, you made the comment of you think you see something in person, but you can't really be sure. And then if you're watching it on video, 
you think you see something the first time through, you rewind it, and then you can be more certain. And then you rewind it a second time, and then you can be even more certain. And so I think those are the two primary attributes of each method, and they complement each other. In this moment, again, I think that the biggest thing that is lost is the ability to monitor that athleticism, those athletic attributes and traits. But I think that that's offset by an increased ability to monitor the effectiveness, the output, the outcomes, regardless of position. If you're an attackman, it's not just about how many goals you scored. It's about, you know, how many dodges led to a rotating defense how many times did you make the right decision once the defense was rotating um you know how many times did you have the ball taken away from you what what is the quality of your stick protection you know these are the types of things that you can get a sense for live but you probably don't have as accurate a picture as you do on video and it's just as true for defensemen and it's just as true for midfielders as well so that's where again you know i think the biggest thing is that in the past video evaluation has been used for the end of the process, right? It is way easier to take, you know, the, the I guess two, two analogies are, are, are you fishing with a fishing pole or are you fishing with a net, right? And early in the summer, you're fishing with a net. Later in the summer and into the fall, you're fishing with a fishing pole. It's way easier to fish with a fishing pole via video than it is to fish with a net. When you're watching a game without a meaningful intention, the likelihood that you end up getting distracted and wasting your time is a lot higher. Whereas if you are watching a video in order to like, say you're just watching one player and you want to make a decision on whether or not he or she is a fit in your program, that is a traditionally easier and more effective way to do it. And so the question becomes how now these coaches have had more time than they traditionally do in the summer. How do you translate that to, all right, we've got our board of a hundred players. We're going to go after within, like I said, a goal of, of getting three or four commits out of that hundred players, we are going to watch each of them. You know, we've got three guys or four people on our staff. We're, we're going to watch each of them four times on video. If they have, you know, if, if we can get access to that much, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of time. That's 400 hours. Um, so I think that those are the challenges that, that folks are facing. And then the question becomes how confident are you that that pool of 100 that you started with is yeah. the right pool? So that's how I see the balance of live versus video evaluation. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And there's other things as it relates to these uh, <laughs> tangible intangibles, such as communication that you can't hear. Totally. And, you know, just seeing the interaction between players and coaches and players and players and leadership and emotion, um, you know. And, and, and then the other thing is, is like you, you referenced this, but, you know, things never look as good or as bad on film as they did in person. <laughs> That's always true. If you thought somebody played terribly, you watched the film, he didn't really play that badly. If you thought somebody played great and you watched the film, yeah, she really actually wasn't that good. And, and it's like, if, if you've ever looked at yourself on film and you made a great play, you go back and look and it's not as good as what you remembered. Yep. Um, and, and that's kind of the nature of it. And I think also we live in a world where we watch a lot of sports center. And so we're just kind of used to seeing like four, two speed, you know, and thinking that's fast. So when we look at, you know, a high school lacrosse player, they don't look quite as fast on t on uh, film. Yeah. Um, the last little anecdote, too, is just anytime you talk to coaches about preparing for certain players, they're oftentimes surprised at just how athletic they are once they see them in person. Like, you know, we thought we had a good plan until we realized just how fast this kid is. Because you can't totally. really tell on film. You can't tell 
the level of competition all the time. So um, there are some pitfalls, but this is like what everybody has to deal with. And the truth is there's a lot you can get from the film. Cool. Um, and you guys are using a ton of film. How are you doing that with your guys' rankings? How's that going to affect the, the IL top 100? Yeah. So, you know, first I would say with respect to the rankings, you know, we are taking an approach the way that pretty much everybody else is taking an approach, which is this is a very unique year and our normal timelines for doing things, our normal methods for doing things are not going to hold up to muster. And so we're probably going to change what we release when, and we haven't made decisions yet on exactly what we are going to do because the last time we had enough time to sit down as a group and talk earnestly about how we're going to present all of this content, which is some of our highest content in demand every year, we didn't know if these events were going to happen. And so the last three to four weeks have been really meaningful for just number one, the increased amount of content by which we can evaluate players as well as our own access to these players by virtue of live evaluation. So in light of that, I don't want to commit on this podcast or privately uh, to like what our plan is going to be in terms of releasing any type of recruiting kind of rankings analysis, the recruiting issue lists, all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I will say is, you know, to the extent that we are all very sympathetic for the class of 2020, for all of the things that they tradition, you know, all the things they lost, all the things that you traditionally get when you're a senior in high school, we are going to, I guess, try to overcompensate in terms of the content that we create, particularly for our traditional recruiting issue toward that class. And so, um, you know, obviously they haven't played very much since the last time they were ranked. So I think it's fair to assume that there aren't going to be that many adjustments. Obviously, like I mentioned, there are players that are no longer in that class. And so that'll get adjusted. And then in addition to that, you know, there are a few data points that we can include coming away from last fall after the rankings were done um, that we can make adjustments based upon. But obviously, as you saw with the recent um, release of the Under Armour All-America senior game rosters, in addition to the fact that the game isn't going to be happening, you know, there just, there just isn't a ton upon which we can evaluate. And so as a result, um, you know, we're going to take our learnings from the last four years and, and four and a half years. And because I mean, remember, this group was getting recruited as eighth graders um, and, and overlay that by trying to tell their stories, because certainly their stories that unfolded over the last, you know, four or five months are very, very unique, um, as well as the fact that, you know, I mean, certainly when you look at the number one and number, I'm sorry, the number one boys and girls recruit, um, you know, I would argue that uh, they're the most famous high school lacrosse players ever um, in Brandon O'Neill and Kaylin Warsberger. So there's a lot of meat on that bone, um, a lot of really interesting stories to be told, a lot of interesting stories to be told all the way across the class. Um, so, you know, we're excited for that opportunity. And as far as the classes of 21 and 22, you know, we're continuing to reassess what makes the most sense. Excellent. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, yeah, um, let's dig in. New, let's get to it. A new initiative at IL Yeah. Uh, called the inside lacrosse video evaluation. Um, tell us about this. Um, what is it all about? How'd you come to this? Um, and um, how's it going to, how do you see it sort of impacting uh, recruiting and what you guys do at, with your ranking? So ultimately, I think one of the challenges that that lacrosse recruiting faces is it is very subjective. Um, when you look at other sports, so um, swimming, running, et cetera, time-based sports, races, you know, obviously that is very objectively evaluated and recruited. Uh, when you look at competitive, like, you know, score-based, so tennis, golf, very objectively recruited. 
even some relatively subjective performance-based sports like gymnastics and diving still have a level of objectivity in terms of your you know, typical output um, in contrast. Then you get into team and stick and ball sports and a lot of those attributes, the things that are most heavily emphasized are measurable as well. So in baseball, oftentimes it's um, you know, how hard you can throw or what your batting average is. And in football, it really comes down to a lot of those athletic skills. You know, obviously there's, there's subjective game evaluation performance that goes into both of those sports, but there's a lot more objective material that gets used in player process, player evaluation process than in, and I think that you can kind of group the, these four sports together, but basketball, which, you know, is a little bit closer to football than it is to the other three in the sense that how, how, tall you are and how high you can jump matters a lot. Um, but it really also is a lot about how good you are on the court is what yields your subsequent opportunities. But then soccer, hockey, and lacrosse, I think are, are all very similar in the way that um, so much of how you're valued as a player comes from things that are very hard to measure. So from that standpoint, I think that the large opportunity, well, okay. So let me just say that I think that there is an inherent frustration that comes from a subjective analysis. If you are the individual or, or you're the parent of the individual being evaluated and you don't understand why your son or daughter isn't more highly thought of, it is very difficult to square that because there isn't enough outside of the stats, right? There isn't enough objective material in order to be able to make the case for why your child is better. And ultimately there's so much context involved with the traditional stats that lacrosse keeps and produces that even those only have so much value. And, and obviously like facing off is probably the best statistically representative part of the game, but you know, I mean, the all-time leading goal scorer on long Island was a division three player, right? Like there's, there's a disconnect between the, amount of production that you yield and the context in which you're doing it relative to what you are projected to be able to do as the pyramid gets narrower and the you know funnel gets narrower as well. So at Inside the Cross, I've always wondered and thought that there was a path toward increasing the objectivity. And this has been a very incremental step. But for example, you know, when Lax Power stopped operating, I felt like there was a void where we could fill in, in terms of final score based ratings, right? And so you can add a little bit more spice to that, but by and large on the high school side, and then we added the club side. Now there is an objective rating that is based on strength schedule and the game and goal differential and the game outcome. Those are the only three variables that go into creating a team evaluation. And then ultimately I think that, three, four, five years down the line, if all of the data inputs on a player's performance are, and a player's associated teams are, are accurate, then we can actually start to build out the idea of win shares, right? So just imagine that, that um, you're a, 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 an attackman who plays at, um, I always get this wrong, Mountain Vista, correct? Yep. I always say either Mount Vista or Mountain View, um, but Mount, Mountain Vista, and you made you went to Maverick Showtime. You made the Southwest Under Armour team, and uh, you played in um, you, you played uh, club for uh, 
uh, Denver Elite and or, or 3D Colorado. And now all of a sudden we have four individual teams that you are a part of and we know what those final scores were. We can start to assign your value as a win share on the basis of that team's performance with you a part of it and then with you not a part of it. And so, you know, again, three, four, five years down the line, I see that as being like an objective metric where basically it's when I'm a part of a team, this is the increased likelihood that we win. But that is not really about player performance. That's about the just, just some other effect that you have on winning. What we have developed is a set of criteria that can be evenly applied across Basically, we have four men's positions. So it's offensive player, defensive player, face-off specialist, and goalie. And then on the women's side, we have attack, midfield, defense, and goalie. The midfield positions are essentially half of the attack questions and half of the defense questions. And then we add draw specialist as a qualifier for any of those three positions if the player takes draws. And you ask two types of questions. Now they are inherently subjective in their answers. So we, I'm conceding that this is not a fully objective process, but the types of questions are how frequently or how often. And then the second type of question is at what level? And so from an answer standpoint, the how frequently ranges from always to never in their five options. And then at the, at what level it, it ranges from the elite division one level all the way down to not at a college level. And so for each position, we ask roughly 20 questions, half our levels, right? That's what we refer to them, levels and frequency questions. And once we get those results, right, it's either a zero, one, two, three, or four, then we plug that into a formula that then yields the final score. So the idea is that as long as the evaluators who are watching the game film and answering the questions are doing so consistently from player to player, then now we have created something where it is more objective than the prior evaluation tool because now we can say on the basis of this game and watching this game, we can yield this final score. And that's something that, you know, inside lacrosse really, and, and, you know, I'll get into a little bit more of this when we talk about how this product affects our business, but, you know, inside lacrosse, in our recruiting database has 2,500 player evaluations. We have 2,500 boys who have a score associated with them, but those scores are based largely on subjective inputs, right? It's, it's, this is my sense of this player. If that player were to come to me and ask, why am I an 80 and not an 82? I would have a very hard time answering him. But in this scenario, if that player were to come and ask, I would be like, well, because in these two instances, out of the five times you were dodged and you didn't turn him back at goal line extended, you got a sometimes as opposed to an always. And that difference is what is the difference between you being an 80 and an 82. And that is ultimately what is, I don't know, one of the things that has us most excited about this video evaluation platform project that, we, that we've been working on. Yeah, really cool. So um, how do people go about getting evaluated? And yeah. how are you getting the word out there? on that? Well, so let me just, like I said, make the transition to okay. talking about how this fits into Inside Lacrosse as a business, because I, I think it's interesting. I think it's important for people to understand. And uh, part of the method of getting it out there and the approach we're taking to the speed at which we're trying to get it out there is reflected in that answer. So Basically, we had the plan that we were going to build this video evaluation platform dating back to late 2018. It had really started to crystallize in my mind what this was going to look like. 
And so over the course of 2019, we took steps to prepare, but we knew that there were some things that we needed to get done in order to be better positioned to execute this. And so, and, and really what we were doing was we were emphasizing the college scoreboard on insidelacrosse.com because it is one of our core assets and we wanted to enhance some of the offerings in order to increase our the size of our audience and their relative stickiness knowing that the moment in time when this was going to hit the hardest was literally right now i had always envisioned that we were going to launch this on august 15 2020 however college season got canceled on march 12th so on march 17th i on our you know I think it was probably our first, well, I guess it would have been our second because that was Tuesday. Our second daily staff call, I said, listen, we have, we have been talking about this project. We have known we're going to do it. We need to do this now. Number one, because we have all this available time that we didn't expect. Number two, because there is a market need for this that we didn't expect. And number three, because this does fill a financial hole in our business that we don't know how big that hole is going to be. But if we can show that we are making progress toward it, then at the very least, we can feel more comfortable about its potential success once we actually do get it out the door. And my hope was that this was going to be a two-month development cycle. Interestingly, the web development side of it has not been what has been the, I guess, kind of long tail burden. The, what, has, what has meant or what has taken an additional two months is how product obsessed we've been. We, and, and really, Dan Kaplan and, and Patrick McEwen have been the two that have been kind of spearheading so much of this. You know, for those that are unfamiliar, Dan Kaplan is uh, a member of the Inside Lacrosse staff who um, played at York, coached at York for four seasons, um, and, you know, has really been a part of that program's uh, emergence as a consistent top five Division three program. And he joined us last summer on a full-time basis. And then Patrick McEwen is Lax Film Room, who I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast is unfamiliar with him from a social media standpoint. But he has been our data specialist, and he is an incredible mathematical mind. And so, you, but he's also a high school coach. So those two guys, and then both of them have increasing and, and exceptional familiarity from a men's lacrosse standpoint with women's lacrosse. And they've also brought in a lot of their experts on their own side to make sure that the questions that we were asking and the way that we were phrasing this was appropriate. But what we really wanted to do was test the consistency of the criteria. And we wanted to do it hundreds of times. And the reason we wanted to do that is because we wanted to kind of inherently understand the way in which people were interacting with the questions, as well as we wanted to understand how, and by people I'm referring to evaluators, and we wanted to understand how that reflected and matched up with what our subjective final score is, right? So if the answers to the questions are yielding an 85, do we think that player is an 85? And so we, we did some tweaking over the course of late May and June, and then into July was really focused on, on the women's product. And then we launched it on August 1st. And the, the, the easiest way to find this is go to insidelacrosse.com slash get evaluated. You create a profile on Inside Lacrosse, an account, so to speak, um, and it's right there. It says, you know, evaluations on the bottom. But there is so much that we are still doing in order to be able to handle the expected volume. So just to give you a little bit of the sense of how important this is and where this fits into Inside Lacrosse as a brand and as a business, you know, certainly we have been ranking players for more than 20 years. As I mentioned, in 2016, we rolled out our recruiting database, which was really the idea behind that was you see this in football and basketball, 
inside lacrosse has been covering recruiting earnestly for 10 years at this point but the model by which we were doing it was pretty static right we would go to an event and we would write the top 10 players who impressed at nike blue chip and the flaw with that was that that article was interesting for like a week and then it would become less interesting it would become interesting you would never see it again unless you like search something that was in that what if we flipped it where the player became the headline, the event became the subhead, and every time the player did something relevant, like performed at an event or um, committed to play college lacrosse or joined a new team, then it became, you know, that evaluation, that write-up from Maverick Showtime, from Under Armour Underclass, Under Armour New Jersey tryouts, whatever, became, you know, it got another bump in terms of its relevance. So that's what we did. And the core to that has been this scoring system. Um, and like I said, we have 2,500 player evaluations in that system, and it's proven to be really meaningful. I would say for the last 18 months, the question that I have been asked most consistently by the customer is how do I get evaluated? And in the same way that I had a bad answer to if you thought you were an 85 and I thought you were an 82, I had a bad answer to how do I get evaluated? The answer was, go to an event where you think an inside across evaluator is going to be, or, you know, an inside across evaluator is going to be, and then play really well, because that tended to be the way in which you got evaluated. Yeah. There's very little control. And that is a process that can be very dissatisfying for players. And so this now puts the control in the hand of the customer to pay, you know, some fee. We basically created um, three different price points based on how frequently you want to be evaluated. And, um, a percentage of that goes to the evaluator. So like I said, you know, the, the, the hope is that there is so much demand for this that just a handful of people won't be able to fill it. They won't be able to provide you with the deliverable that you expect to get when you purchase this product. So our idea is we are going to take NCAA compliant, which basically means um, division one volunteers and division three largely assistant coaches who don't make a lot of money and are very familiar with recruiting via video. And we are going to match a customer with that evaluator. The evaluator is going to get a percentage of the fee that the customer is, is paying. The evaluator is going to watch the game film that they provide via a link. And then they are going to produce the evaluation that gets delivered to the customer. And the customer has the choice of whether or not they want to add it to their inside lacrosse profile. And so the analogy that I use is kind of like Uber when you match a rider with a driver, right? Inside lacrosse is the system. Um, now, to this point, we have also been the drivers because we wanted to set the standard. This is a very new and early product. But eventually, we're going to get to a point where we won't really be doing that in large numbers anymore. And so, um, you know, we, we've, we've sold a couple dozen and the feedback's been tremendous. And there's been some really interesting learnings and I knew that there would be. And one of the reasons that we didn't want to roll this out super fast, we didn't want to be overwhelmed by the volume and have the delivery duration be super long, right? The goal is right now to deliver within a week and going forward, we want to be able to deliver in two to three days. Um, but also, you know, again, we wanted to make sure that both the customer satisfied with what the way they were receiving. And then we wanted to, um, make sure that there was enough work for the evaluators to justify the effort of basically doing what we asked them to do in order to be certified by inside lacrosse, which is you watch a video that explains, this is what we define a turn back as looking like. This is what we define not turning a player back as looking like and all of the different skills that we 
ask you about. Um, and then you watch a player's video, you evaluate him, and then we look side by side with what we think is the proper score and what you produced. And if there were substantial deviations, then we tell you that. And if not, then you're good to go. And now we have an additional evaluator that can earn a little bit of extra money by doing inside lacrosse evaluations. And so, you know, it's interesting for us because at Inside Lacrosse, we've always, you know, we have this enormous website and we are able to indirectly monetize that by allowing advertisers to access the audience through our website, which is an industry that has changed so tremendously over the last three years that, you know, it's just whether or not that is as sustainable in the future as it has been in the past is a very open question. And then obviously separately, we've got you know, these individual showcases and club team tournaments that um, are also a business and a, an important business. But what we have always lacked is a product that was able to take advantage of that large audience that was in demand by a great number of people. Because the main product that we've marketed is our magazine, which is an incredible product, and I'm absolutely willing to stand behind it. But I also understand that that's not necessarily something that enough people want in order to take advantage of all the people that are coming to our website. You know, but I look at it and I say, there are probably going back to that number, about 5,000 boys and 5,000 girls in each high school class year that wanna play college lacrosse. And when you multiply that by four to six class years, you're looking at 10,000 times four, 10,000 times six. So you're looking at between 40 and 60,000 prospective customers for which this service, this product, would have value. And that's the way that we're thinking about it. And that's one of the reasons that from a business standpoint, it's so exciting to me, because, you know, this is not an inexpensive product, but it's also not exorbitantly priced that would make it inaccessible to a large group of people. And I think the value proposition is very high. And I think that there are a lot of people that will look at this and say, this is something that I want. So when you combine that with the fact that the first couple dozen that we've delivered have been really well received, you know, I think it represents you know, a step forward for inside the cross as a business that is incredibly important for us. And, you know, I would be remiss, Jamie, not to um, shout you out because you assisted with the process through a couple of phone calls, but then also, you know, saw this coming as well. And as part of building jam three sports added a video evaluation platform to your product. But ultimately I think one of the reasons that you're cool with having me on the podcast to promote the, the existence of this. And, and one of the reasons that, um, you know, I'm happy to come here and do it is, because, you know, there's another thing that lives on the other side of getting evaluated that right now inside the cross is not in a position to provide. And that is how do you get better, right? Like inside the cross is a brand has a lot of experience telling people how good they are and where they stack up against their peers. And that second part is super important because not a lot of people have the capacity or, or credibility to do that. But I mean, even though we actually have a growing number of coaches on our staff, we generally speaking are not coaches. So that continuing that continuing education that comes after you've been evaluated about how you get better. Ultimately, we're in the market for partners who are going to be able to help us steer our customers, steer those folks that are definitely going to have those questions into places or to places that are going to be able to help them find answers. Yeah, love it. And, you know, when I first um, got out of the uh, camp and clinic and tournament business and I realized I was going to go digital, the, the very first thing. I did was did video assessments of the kids of my friends and I did a lot of girls um, and people were like, this is, this is incredible. And, and one of the reasons why is because the, nobody, they never really get really specific feedback 
you know, like you're, like you're referencing with your product because you're always in a team and, and nobody has that time. And it's like pulling teeth as a club director to even get your coaches to like do a simple little write-up of feedback. And that feedback is never based on video. And we already talked about video. You don't even know what happened until you watch the video. So if you're giving feedback to somebody on what you think happened, it's just not accurate feedback. So um, I think it's incredibly exciting that you guys are, are doing this. And I, I think if people do this with you, you know, the hope would be that they would get better. You know, the hope would be that, that, that their scores um, of sometimes goes to very often or always, um, and that their levels go from, you know, a, a medium level to a high level. And that would impact, you know, the way that they're going to be recruited and viewed, and, and they can have some tangible feedback. Um, so I, I think it's awesome. And um, I would like to hear more of your thoughts on the price point and, and how people, you know, your, your, your view of how people could actually help themselves get ranked by IL through this product and this yeah. process. Yeah, so, so there are a couple of points that you brought up there that I, that I wanted to touch on as well. Um, but I'll answer your question. So, the, so when we were doing our customer surveys before we made decisions around what we were going to charge and how we were going to frame this, um, one of the really interesting things that we heard was I would want to be evaluated a couple of times over the course of some span of time because I um, – want to see how much I've improved on the basis of the feedback that's been provided. So if you want to be evaluated once, it's $200. If you want to be evaluated twice, six months apart, it's $300. So evaluation goes from 200 to 150. And then if you want to be evaluated three times, four months apart, it's, I believe, 350 or $375. And the idea being that um, you know, the, the incremental price comes down because obviously the upfront expense goes up, but also by staging these out months apart, you know, we are able to handle the volume and also schedule when these evaluations are going to be done. So that's essentially what the approach was there. And we'll see how, uh, how much people like that and how much people utilize that potential opportunity. So the point that you made about, um, coaches providing feedback to their players. So I think that this is an important moment in time for this product because so many players didn't get feedback in the spring. And to the extent that they're getting feedback in the summer, like you said, the opportunity, everything is so condensed that if the time, if, if time is the issue, then getting feedback from a club coach right now is less likely than it is in another moment in time when you're not packing two months worth of activity into one month. In addition to that, I think that this actually has a lot of value for coaches because to the point that I was making 25 minutes ago about the value of third-party feedback, a lot of coaches don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to tell their player that they are not as good as the player thinks that they are. And so the way that this is structured is such that we are not looking to maintain good relationships so to speak with these customers like i'm not like we're not going to be unduly cruel but we know that our credibility is dependent upon the accuracy of this evaluation which is why it was so important to be able to show our work so to speak right like the reason your score is what it is is because this is what you did and we can point to it through the timestamps in the product that gets delivered to you so I think for coaches, 
if you, I mean, I, I would imagine, and I've heard from a lot of club coaches that one of the biggest stressors in their life is the division three player who wants to, and thinks that they're a division one player. Well, this is something that can potentially help make that player, make that family realize like your aspirations to go to Notre Dame are not realistic. Maybe, you know, Oberlin is the right fit for you. Maybe Wesleyan is a realistic opportunity for you. And maybe you should start resetting your sights on that. If you decide that that is something that you want to be a part of and you still want to play college cross confronting that reality. And so, um, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of additional knock-on effects that we're going to attack down the road. So for example, one of the biggest things that's changed in recruiting in the last 10 years is that 10 years ago, if you were the coach of Franklin and Marshall, one of the big uses of your time was finding the 25 to 50 players that wanted to come play at your school. The advent of Connect Lack Sports Recruits, NCSA, has totally inverted that, where now you have, in some instances, more than 1,000 players in a class who have expressed interest in coming to your school. So the challenge is no longer finding the players that want to come play there. It's finding the 10 to 15 that are the best for your program, that are the best for your team. Because at that level, which serves way more players than the Division I level, you know, almost three times as many, when the challenge is both to fill beds and to produce a, good, a group of good citizens that can win lacrosse games, well, when you take away that bed-failing challenge because now you know who's coming, or who's interested, rather, who's willing to come, the challenge then, the pendulum swings, all right, well, I've got this pool of information, but it's almost completely useless to me because how do I know among this, you know, the 700 players that checked, uh, I don't know, Bates as a place that they wanted to go, how do I know who the best 10 are? And my thought is that if we can get this to critical mass and 350 of those players have a score associated with them, then it creates a process where you can figure out what your old methods were and that's how you deal with the half that you don't have a score for but to the extent that you trust the credibility of the inside lacrosse score you can work through that list sequentially and ultimately be not only more efficient but also more effective in your recruiting and i've heard from a number of college coaches that imagine that that is a really useful and worthwhile tool that they hope that we end up producing over the course of the next i don't know couple months into the next couple years um and so, uh, you know, kind of circling it back around to the rankings component of it, when we continue to develop this, the subsequent products are going to be a lower price, different method of evaluating middle school players, and then an even lower price, even more different method of evaluating first time players. And the idea being that at those levels, the type of feedback, the type of coaching that's necessary, the type of players that are in need of qualified feedback are very different, right? You're not looking at how do I get better in an effort toward ending up playing college lacrosse. You're, you just want to, you just want to get better, or, or maybe you don't need to get better right now. Maybe you need to be told that you're doing the right things. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to say how that then dovetails into recruiting. But what I do think it does is it starts building the base of our funnel, the base of our pyramid, the top of our funnel, the base of our pyramid um, earlier. And so as a result, we just have a better sense of who these players are. Um, and so, you know, as we continue to watch, as we continue to evaluate, then it becomes um, more robust, more frequent, 
and we just have a better sense. We have more confidence in the decisions that we, that we make. So, you know, I, there is not a direct correlation between, um, yeah. and that's very intentional right? because we, we, we know that so much of our brand um, coincides with uh, the integrity and, and desire and, and, uh, and, and belief in our ranking process. Right. So we, we know that that cannot be compromised. And so the, the video evaluation tool can serve just like any other as a lead generator for a player that we were unfamiliar with previously, or, um, you know, a second set of eyes for, you know, someone that we don't feel like we have as full a sense of who that player is. Um, you know, it is not a direct pathway to getting ranked by any stretch of the imagination. I always look at recruiting uh, as there's two major pillars that everyone needs to understand. And one is, are you good enough? And the other is, do the right people know who you are? And I really believe that this product is going to be able to help um, in both of those scenarios. Are you good enough? How do you even know if you're good enough? What does that even mean? Are you good enough? And you get what you, you can, you can manage what you measure. So, so if to, to find out if you're good enough and to find out what you do well, to find out what you could work on is so critical for every single player at whatever age, because the whole idea is to be good enough and to get better. Um, And then as far as people know who you are, well, obviously if you do this product and IL knows who you are and you keep getting better and better and better. It, it, it's a guarantee that they at least know who you are and you're on track to getting better and people knowing who you are. Um, so um, any thoughts on those concepts? I mean, I, I think that you're, you're, you're spot on. I would build on it by saying that one of the things, one of the luxuries inside the cross has always had when it comes to evaluating and ranking players is we only have to focus on how good are you? We don't have to focus on how do you fit into our team schemes? And we don't have to focus on, are you the, can you handle the academic load and are you a jerk? Right. And so those other three things are super important to the relationship that you're ultimately going to develop with what you hope is your future college coach. But yes, I would say that to the extent that, um, how good are you and do the right people know who you are once again, part of the proof of concepts of this idea is that this happens in other sports. I have a friend, my oldest friend in life um, is he's basically the assistant director of player personnel at a uh, power five football team. And prior to that, he was the same job at a different power five football team. And prior to that, he worked for national scouting service, college football, programs pay thousands of dollars a year and in, and for fbs they pay like twenty-seven thousand dollars a year to access these scouting service libraries and the way that the product is presented is obviously like different and really efficient and really important but also the trust that these directors of player personnel have in the evaluation that's being provided by the third-party scouting service is really high and that ultimately is one of the things that we have to get to. Now, I will totally concede that there are a lot of differences in football recruiting versus lacrosse recruiting. First and foremost, there really isn't very much club football or summertime football. So the fact that it's so scholastic oriented and the fact that the games are on Friday and Saturday nights at the same time when the college games are happening, that makes it very difficult for in-person evaluation to be happening with frequency, right? Because there's two days a week. 
there's thousands of teams all over the country. It's very hard to get to. And that doesn't necessarily exist for us. Most of the recruiting is done in the non-spring scholastically competitive window. Um, but ultimately, that doesn't mean that you can't provide value. And again, and by that, I mean to coaches, to college coaches. And so, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about different college coaches' desire to basically send us the video of a player that they're considering and trying to get third-party confirmation or, you know, one way or the other, um, you know, just get that second set of eyes. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the prior comment that we were saying. I mean, so that's why I think I've gone over, you know, we haven't, I didn't just, you know, I didn't stop and start and say, now we're going to talk about the customer and the, the value sure. of the customer. But I think we hit on the three things yeah. that I wanted to hit on between lacrosse, the customer and inside lacrosse as a business. But circling back to the idea of the way in which this can impact the lacrosse recruiting landscape, not only is lacrosse very subjectively recruited because the nature of the game is very subjective and the nature of evaluating the game is very subjective. I have been stunned in the last three to four years as I've spent more time on sidelines at how non-systematic so many coaches approach to taking notes actually is. Yeah. They don't tend to aggregate notes event to event to event. They don't tend to use a consistent system across events. So when it comes time to talk with their staffs about their opinions of players, it tends to be very anecdotal. And I think that there's a lot of flaw in terms of how that happens. And so, you know, one of the biggest learnings of the summer of 2019 was Prior to that, the majority of our player evaluations, I mentioned that we had, you know, we, we had 1,250 evaluations at the end of 2018. So we doubled the number that we did in 2019 relative to 2016 to 18. And the biggest reason for that is because there were a handful of former coaches that were unemployed and we sent them to a bunch of events and they produced like 30 to 40 evaluations. And the, what we learned from that was super interesting in both directions. Number one, what they value, how they think about the sport. And just as an example, like one of the evaluations, I kept noticing this coach, you know, particularly around midfielders, long stick middies and faceoff guys, kept using the phrase in the shot clock era. And it was just really fascinating to me that this particular coach valued the skill set differently than he did prior to the implementation of the shot clock. That's probably not something that I would have written, but as a coach who's trying to win games and understanding that your recruiting has to change in reflection of the rule set, this was a big deal. And so that was very much top of mind to him. So that's an example of one of the things that we learned from the coaches. But I also had a lot of conversations with coaches who learned from us and earned, learned from what we were asking them to do about what they had previously not done and how they had fallen short in their prior evaluation methods because of, again, the lack of a system. And so in addition to, I guess, just the idea of creating a system I'm sorry, I guess, in addition to the idea of creating a more objective way to measure player performance, I think also more fundamentally than that, you know, the popularization of this further from what we have done over the previous four years would, I think, advance the sport in terms of people who are paid to recruit utilizing a system in order to be able to track and show their peers, their colleagues, whether that's within the lacrosse office or within the athletic department, exactly what they're doing in the hours that they're spending on the sidelines. Yeah, it's such interesting stuff. And I, I think that you guys are onto something um, and it's really exciting. 
All right. So Jamie, like I said, you know, I really, I mean, I'm appreciative of the conversations that we've had as Inside Lacrosse has um, developed uh, this platform and hope that in the future, we're going to find ways to integrate uh, your platform into what we're trying to do. But like, can you just describe to me what you see JM3 Sports as being now and what you see it growing into um, on the basis of, of what your expertise is, what you want to do, and what you think your resources allow you to do? Right. Yeah, great question. And thanks for asking. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time doing a video assessment similar to like what you guys are doing, but I really decided what I like to do is work more specifically with players. So at the highest level, I have athletes that I work with um, and I help them understand what it means to be good enough and how they can get better um, and provide advocacy. And then at, at, at lower levels, I've created really what I think is some of the best content on the internet as far as showing you how to get better. And, and so, for example, if, if there was an IL uh, video evaluation and it said you need to get better at X, Y, and Z, I'm going to have solutions for you on that. So from a pure like digital um, basis, you can go buy the JM3 Defense Academy for $97 and you can learn how to get better at all the things that are being talked about. Um, and if you want more information on that and you want a, a, a relationship where you have a, a private coach that's going to work with you, you can do that too. Uh, my passion is studying this game, learning it, and figuring out how to teach players how to learn it. Um, and um, it's been incredibly fun and successful uh, as I've really gone into this remote world. I mean, we're all in this age right now where we're on Zoom calls every day. I, I've been doing Zoom calls for three years with athletes looking at film and breaking it down and trying to help them get on a new trajectory for their lacrosse development, as well as their lacrosse, the way they think about the game and, and how they would position themselves within the game as it relates to really tapping into my network. And, but correct if I'm wrong, for as much as you provide players, you also have a similar value proposition for coaches, right? Thousand percent. So yeah, we were just sort of focused on players in this conversation, but Another huge passion of mine is studying the game on a, on a coaching level. Uh, the JM3 Coaches Training Program is so deep. It's got this sort of balance of cutting edge and practicality. So if you're a youth coach or a JV coach, you know, there's going to be content in there for you that, that's going to make a massive difference. But I also have dozens of Division I programs and men's and women's lacrosse that are subscribers to this program. Um, and I think that the beautiful tie-in is just that it's, it allows people to find what they want. It allows the players to engage. It allows the coaches to engage. And the reason why I say that is because if a coach does subscribe, all of their players get access to all of the player content, as well as all of the coaches and parents getting access to coaches' content and recruiting content. So it's really exciting, um, and I'm so fired up to, you know, have been a, a small part of your guys' process and, and hopefully a, a part of your future and getting more people to understand. You have to get evaluated to, under, to, to, to know where you're at. If right. you don't know where you're at, then, then you have no idea what to work on. You might think that your son or daughter played great because they had all these 
force turnovers when really coaches are going to look at what you did out there as, as not great defense. Um, and so to be able to understand that is huge so that you can then get better. And there's a lot of ways to get better, but the bottom line is if you don't get better, somebody else is, and it's a competitive world. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to both hear about your platform and, and talk to you about ours on your podcast and, and going back to, you know, what I said at the beginning, it, I, I've just been uh, really, uh, I don't want to say amazed, not in sense too strong of a word, but um, you know, surprised or whatever um, by the amount of feedback I've gotten from my appearances on your, on your podcast. And I think that the reason that it sticks is because of the, re it's similar to the reason that you found success in your past, past endeavors, which is that like you are a non-conventional thinker and you attack problems um, in different and, and, and you, you attack problems in ways that are different from a lot of people. And you also are consistent in your values your methodologies and what you try to advance. And there are some people who are like, nah, you gotta be more flexible. And, you know, I would say like in one respect, that's reminiscent of Mike D'Antoni to me, right? Or Daryl Morey, like the Houston Rockets are very dogmatic in their approach and what they believe wins basketball games. And, um, you know, there are some people who are like, no, you have to be more successful, or I'm sorry, more flexible in order to find success. I'm not necessarily comparing your approach to them, I'm saying that it's similar. And that's, I think one of the reasons that when you create content like a podcast, um, people like listening to it because um, even if they don't necessarily agree with everything you say, number one, there's an expectation. There's an, there's like a benchmark by which to compare how I feel about something to how Jamie feels about it. Because I know like I'm familiar enough with this point of view that, that, you know, that's cool and that's good. And I like that. But then, you know, because of, you know, how your consistency and how you're doing this and, and as a result, the audience you've built, um, you know, I, I just think, I, I think you have facilitated, um, again, I always hate to like compare to like the pinnacle of whatever, but you know, in the way that Joe Rogan is so highly regarded for his interview style in the sense that he really allows the subject to get into both really high level detail of what they're talking about, but also make certain that the baseline things are covered so that, you know, even though the audience is pretty informed, they don't get left behind. Um, and I think that, that you do a nice job of, of doing that. And so, you know, talking about, like I said, what I think is a relatively complex project, but also relatively important, both inside lacrosse and hopefully to the sport, you know, just, again, having the opportunity to talk about it on your podcast is pretty exciting. So I'm glad for that. But I also know that we're running up against it because we're, we're going to be able to watch some pretty good lacrosse this afternoon. Yep. Can't, can't wait for uh, the Whip Snakes Chaos game. I'm rooting hard for the chaos. My boy, uh, Andy Towers. And, um, and uh, always a pleasure to have you on, Terry. Love talking lacrosse with you. And um, let's do it again sometime soon. You're the man, Jamie. I appreciate you. Thanks, Terry. Bye.